From the studios of Advancing Vibrant Communities in Modesto, California, this is Lighthouse Live Radio on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. And good evening to you, wherever you may be around the world. Welcome to Lighthouse Live on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Pastor Mike Douglas with you, along with our producer and co-host, Elaine Harlan, and, of course, our faithful predecessor, the inimitable Mr. Owl, Al Ramsey, uh, with us as well, and... and uh, Great friends with us tonight, Great and uh, we're going to introduce yes. you. And, and not, I was going to say old friends. That's not you the right term. You get in trouble it, every time we long do time that. friends long is what time. we uh, what we have here, and and we're going to introduce them to you in, in just a couple of minutes, and be talking about really one of I think uh, the most important movements is going on right now in terms of providing hope for the population coming out of incarceration and attempting uh, to mainstream back into society. And we're going to be talking about some wonderful initiatives uh, to deal with that and historically how that's worked and, and how we just see some great community uh, action going on here in terms of partnerships. So uh, some exciting stuff coming on there. want to tell you, though, uh, a, a big thank you uh, to the Remember and Prepare uh, folks who put on a wonderful event this Saturday uh, down at the uh, SOC, the, the Sheriff's Operations Center here in Santa Claus County. And it was a great time of uh, not only honoring uh, those who perished during the, the 9-11 uh, event, but also uh, some great ways to prepare for natural or man-made disasters in the future. Yes. And, uh, in fact, our chairman, Dr. Robert Chin yeah. uh, was down there with his uh, wife Connie and uh, and their trustee Steed Theo yes, was there as him. as well. And those of you who were at our uh, event last November remember Theo with the bow tie. Well, that was uh, <laughs> it's all he wore. Uh, that that was quite a thing. Theo with just the bow tie. <laughs> I'm going to get cards and letters on that. Now. I hope I, you do. I know I, I will. Hey, I'll explain it to you all later. <laughs> All right. Anyway, thank you for that. And also, big thanks to uh, 511 Tactical and Dan Costa for a wonderful event on Sunday, uh, the actual um, uh, 10th anniversary of 9-11. Just a wonderful uh, ceremony there and uh, very privileged to participate in that. Thank you uh, for your willingness, uh, the community, to come together and honor those who perish, but also honor the families of those who have survived and also honor our uh, first responders and the wonderful job that they uh, that they do for us. Thank you for that. Before we go to Voice of the Martyrs this week, this is a special one. And uh, Wayne Davison has, has been a longtime friend of Advancing Vibrant Communities and Lighthouse Live Radio. And uh, Wayne uh, works with State Parole. And I want you to listen very carefully. Wayne, I'm going to have you introduce your guest here in, in, in a minute. I know, Gary, this is your first uh, first time with us. But I want, to, I want you to listen to this very carefully 
because the strategies that are used are employed today behind prison walls. Let's listen to this. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find that it's true? Hey, what's up? This is Toby Mack with news about another real-life Jesus freak. It's 1991, North Vietnam. The police ransack Lindau's home because her father is an underground pastor, but they can't find the Bibles they're searching for. Lynn has hidden them in her school knapsack. When finally allowed to visit her father, 10-year-old Lynn squeezes through the prison yard fence and runs to hug him. The guards allow it because what harm can a little girl do? Well, God uses Lynn to smuggle in a pen to her father, and he writes sermons and Bible verses on cigarette paper, which are passed from cell to cell. Many come to Christ. I guess a kid can make a difference. How do you respond to the voice of the martyrs? Go online to persecution.com. Isn't that great? I, I mean, we know that, uh, you know, the, the gangs pass information like that, uh, you know, and, uh, here, here God uses that same strategy for his advantage behind prison walls. And I thought you might appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she got coached by, uh, any gangbangers on that. No, but, uh, I you know, it was a very inventive no. young lady. Yes. And, uh, Sony Thanks to Voice of the Martyrs. And, uh, now to take a look at what's happening on the legal front, here's Brad Dacus. It's time for The Legal Edge, a look at your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. And now, with a look at what's happening on the legal front, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. Pacific Justice Institute does not only litigate, but it also educates. This is especially true with its Faith in the Workplace video seminar. This program encourages employees and employers to know their rights to express their faith at work. This includes workplace Bible studies, the freedom to say God bless you or Merry Christmas to fellow workers, and the right to even have a company chaplain for employee spiritual guidance. The First Amendment clearly grants free religious expression in all of life's circumstances, including the workplace. Well, Pacific Justice encourages you to exercise yours. I'm Brad Dacus. To find out more about The Legal Edge, call 916-857-6900 or log on at pacificjustice.org. And you know, friends, our position has always been that we don't beat the people over the head with the Bible. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's, uh, that we, we establish relationships with the community. We walk out our faith and, and that, uh, has, has the most dramatic impact that we can possibly have. Uh, however, you know, there, there's also a point where you need to know what legal ramifications are of, uh, protecting your, your rights to, uh, practice, uh, your faith. In, especially in the workplace. I remember when I was, I was kind of on the other side of the fence, uh, guys, I was in the fire service with the state and, you know, my old cop uniform and the fire uniform, they fight in the closet. You know, I mean, you know, back <laughs> when, back in 1979 <laughs> when I went through the academy, you know, you just didn't, you didn't, you didn't go around firemen. They were kind of, you know, weird guys that walked into flaming buildings, for goodness sakes. But, you know, then I became one and, and, um, but anyway, I, what, what, what what bothered me a little bit at the time was that some of my union dues were going to things that I was adamantly opposed to, you know, and and uh, and it wasn't just you know piddly little stuff. There's some pretty 
I'm not going to say what it was. You know, I don't want to get political here. But there, there were some things. Yeah, well, there, there were some things that they were supporting that I just was fundamentally uh, opposed to. And I didn't find out till much later, as as we began to talk to Brad Dacus, that I could actually ask them not to use my dues for that and and to use them for other purposes. And so, anyway, the point of that, friends, is is not not to be belligerent. We you, know, you need to honor the chain of command and such. But you know, if you do have questions, if if some of those issues are are weighing heavy heavy on you, the Pacific Justice Institute provides help pro bono. Uh, this is all uh, volunteered by uh, their attorneys up and down the state. So, if you have questions about how your dues are being used, if you're in the workplace whether it's government or, or whether it's private industry, if you're in the workplace and, and you feel, gee, I, you know, I'd, I'd just like to have, be able to have the Bible sitting on my desk, you know, for my own use. And, and that's a problem with the administration. Call the Pacific Justice Institute and in a very nice way, in a very respectful way, uh, they will help you uh, deal with those issues. And I want to stress that they always deal with it in a very respectful and honoring way. We're, we're not into creating adversarial relationships here with the community. We're into building relationships, and, yes. and they will help you do that. Again, it's www.pacificjustice.org. And Brad Dacus is a pretty cool guy. Absolutely. You got it. Let's take a quick look at the Volunteer Center of the United Way because we're going to get into some really cool dudes that are here with us tonight. The Stanislaus County Elections Office, a consolidated district election, is going to be held on Tuesday, November 8th, and volunteers ages 18 and older are needed to serve as election officers, bilingual election officers, and on-call election officers from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. I know that's a long day, but you know, you got to hand it to these guys that do this because that is a long day for them. Uh, on election day... Well, election, they elect to do it, though. They yeah, elect to do it, and sorry. they are there for... <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be fun, I can tell already, to help set up the voter precinct, uh, maintain security of the ballot so that people like, I won't say, no, I'll go on, security of the ballot so that undesirable people don't get it. Uh, voting equipment, no, we want you to get out and vote. and assist. But voters, only once. Only once, yeah. yeah one one vote per person is kind of the way it goes. Right. Exactly. Right. And you know that they except pay, in parts of the country, but we but won't go. We that. won't go yes. there and right. we will go on. You know, a ninety five dollar stipend is offered for the volunteers time and commitment, which includes a mandatory two to three hour training class. And they're offering this on October 11th through the 22nd of October in Modesto, Oakdale and Turlock. Pretty cool, huh? Training will provide an excellent overview of the election day process, as well as hands on equipment training to ensure proper setup and operation of the voting equipment. Now, if you're interested, you must be a registered voter in California. You must be 18 years of age uh, and attend the training once again. And you must be available to work on November 8th. And uh, you can go online also, standvote at stancounty.com. Check this out and uh, you know consider doing that. I really an important admi- function. It is Hi- highly important. It it is. Absolutely. I always admire those men and women who sit there all day and and you know well it's not like they're just sitting there all day but they're they're uh, doing their and let's keep them busy. Yes. This November, Absolutely. friends. You know I, I I'm so disappointed when I go to vote 
Uh, I mean, some people send in absentee ballots, and, and that's fine, you know, but my brain is absentee enough, so I like to show up. You know, I, I like to take my Should little... Should we elaborate? No. A little... No. I still want to get paid fine. Yeah, that's right. Well, you can have that $95 stipend <laughs> and go. Uh, go go help them. Right. I, you know, I like to go and physically, you know, depending on what type of mechanism they're using that particular election, I like to do it myself and mm. take my kids too. with me yeah, so that they're go. indoctrinated into how important it is to... Uh, you know, to vote. And uh, it just just bothers me when I go there and the people say, wow, you're the first person that we've seen in three hours. You know, that's just, I mean, here we have the opportunity to vote. Let's go out and do it. Indeed. You know, the Stanislaus Literacy Center, and these are one of our favorite people, getting ready for a big event, wine, jazz, and a movie event, sponsored by another one of our favorites, Save Mark Cares, and the Stanislaus Literacy Center are going to be held on Thursday, September 29th at the State Theater in Modesto. The event is going to benefit Literacy Program Services, kicks off with the Kyle Barker's All-Star Jazz Band. All right. Yes, I'll rave into that. Performing live during a wine and cheese reception provided by E&J Gallo Winery and Hillmar Cheese. That takes place from 6 to 7 p.m. and is followed by the special screening of a Hallmark Hall of Fame movie, Beyond the Blackboard. Stacy Bess, the woman whose true story is depicted in the movie, will be speaking at the event. Tickets are available for just $30 per person at the agency or uh, at readingworks.net slash, that's forward, forward slash event website. Uh, adult volunteers are needed at 8 p.m. to assist with cleanup, pack up supplies, break down tables, uh, etc. after the reception. The Stanislaus Literacy Center providing literacy services for adults and children who need to improve their basic academic skills in Stanislaus County. Great, great work. And uh, again, two of our favorites, so you might want to check that out. Also, Carousel Therapeutic Writing, where you can share your love of horses with disabled children and adults. Volunteers ages 13 years and up are needed to commit a couple of hours a week to work and help out riders during therapy sessions. Uh, Volunteers walk in the arena beside the riders who are on horseback. They can lead the horses, play games with riders, and groom them. Not the riders, the horses. I'm glad you clarified that. I'm glad I did, too. Prior experience uh, working with horses or the disabled is helpful, but not necessary, and training is provided. One-hour sessions are held. I have experience with goats. uh, Lots of experience with goats. The horses, I don't, you know... But I can deal with the goats. You can deal with the goats. I don't know whether they can. They deal probably with don't you, have therapeutic anyway. goats, though. Um, probably not. Hard to ride those little guys. Story. You know, it's, it gets really ticked <laughs> off Especially when you ride the them. Pygmy goats that you have. They're they really the get dis- disturbed about that when you saddle them up, and you know, it's just <laughs> it just doesn't work, and it looks kind of weird. Two riding the goat. Especially if you're riding the them. I hope you don't ride your goats. I, I would get no, a little upset if I uh, saw you riding your goats. They took care of you know, we, we don't do that <laughs> we anymore. <don't> no. <laughs> this carousel therapeutic riding, that's a great opportunity for you to check out, too. You can check out all of these things through our good friend, Barbara Borba. She's at 209-524-1307, extension 113. Again, 209-524-1307, extension 113. Very glad to hear you know, that. And that is so powerful. Powerful. I went to a funeral a couple of weeks ago for a, a young guy, seven years old, mm. and named Ryan, and uh, just a, a courageous little guy. And 
and uh, had had developed cancer and uh, just had a you know a, a tremendous fight and will to live you know before the lord took him home but one of his great he wanted to be a cowboy you know, and one of his great joys was was riding horses and, and the therapy, especially for kids who are who are, are very sick, uh, or or who need other time uh, kinds of therapy. That can be just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Terrific. So I highly encourage you to yes, take advantage of that. Indeed, you know we have a, an airport neighborhood family who needs a hand up uh, right now, needing a queen bed, a dresser, and this is something we haven't asked for. I don't think have we, Mike, an answering machine. We I don't think we've ever. For, I don't think so. Asked for an answering machine. Well, we're asking oh. for one now, and uh, and also uh, um, washing machines uh, uh, and and some dishes for this family. A washing machine. I think I made that plural. They need one. Um, so if you have any of these items to donate, get a hold of us. Um, and friends at ABC, we take your items like refrigerators, uh, washers, dryers, uh, and we want to say though that they need to be working uh, because we don't fix them. Okay, I know I don't work on them, and I don't. You don't want me fixing your washer. So so make sure that they work. Make sure that they're clean, uh, because we don't clean them either. Mm -mm. So we, we, and you know, the Lord didn't give people dirty stuff. He he made sure that. you know, they were good. Yeah, and, and friends, remember, oftentimes what happens is when our volunteers pick up that appliance from you, they are taking it directly to the person in need. Right, right. And just think about you being the person in need. Would Jesus arrive at your door and say, Hi, I'm giving you a dirty, broken-down refrigerator, but it's free. No, 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 no you give no, us the best, you know. So we encourage you to clean things up, make sure they're working, mm-hmm. and so we can truly bless yeah. people with those items. So if you have some of these items and you wish to donate to people who do not have... Get a hold of us. We'd love to hear from you, too. 209-544-9571. Once again, that's 209-544-9571, and we'll make those connections happen. And a reminder, if you're listening here in Stanislaus County, this Saturday we have the final Advancing Vibrant Communities Airport Neighborhood Cleanup. We started this back in uh, 2009, and actually this is our fourth. Uh, who's um, counting? Hot. Maybe maybe fifth cleanup. Yes. Invite you to come out and, and join us. Uh, the first time we took 22 tons of junk out of the alleyways That's and byways. It was a lot of stuff out of the airport neighborhood. And, and last time we took 36 tons of stuff out of there. So it's a great way to bless the neighbors, and, and they're starting to work right along with us. So it's a great, great opportunity uh, to really walk out our faith and, and do some sacrificial service down there. It's uh, only half half a day, 8.30 in the morning till 12.30 in the afternoon, so you have the rest of your Saturday free. Uh, we'll be staging in the parking lot of Orville Wright School there at Monterey and Empire uh, in Modesto uh, in the airport neighborhood. Uh, we'll have some prayer time and uh, a briefing there at 8.30, and then we'll turn you loose into the highways and byways of the airport neighborhood. Again, uh, we'll uh, conclude by 12.30 and bring sturdy gloves please and uh yeah and some hydration because it's hot out there uh, sturdy shoes as yes, well closed toed shoes weed wa- yeah closed yeah, toed shoes important. very important weed whackers shovels rakes and uh we'll, we'll clean things up down there bless the neighborhood again that's coming up this saturday the 17th 8:30 in the morning to 12:30 in the afternoon don't have to call ahead of time, just show up and we'll be happy to put you to work. Love to see you. You know, we have such a dynamic duo with us tonight and, 
Mike the best in our opinion, you know. And of course, Wayne has been tortured by us before, and he came back cho- for more. He chose I to that's return. And, and, and Gary is wondering why he's here tonight. I know he is. Gary's thinking, "What did I walk into here? <laughs> what am I doing here?" But we want to extend a warm welcome to Lighthouse Live to Wayne Davison and Gary Bird. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you. Oh, Great to have this you. This is with awesome. Us. And uh, from the State Parole uh, Department and and the Pact Program. Uh, parole and community team and and first of all guys why do we have packed and and let's just unpack packed if we can here and let's just talk about why you're here and i know you know wayne often talks a lot um sometimes about the compassion that people have around the tables at, at packed but you know the compassion that exudes from these gentlemen is just Unreal. You just can't see these guys being in a position of, of being, you know, over these parolees and stuff, but they have so much compassion that exudes from them. It is just unbelievable. So thank you guys. Take it away. So give us, give us some history, Wayne. Yeah. How, well, how did this come to be? Well, first of all, um, I was comfortable with my old job and, uh, Gary had interviewed some people for the PAC position. Um, and he didn't think they would do a good job. And, uh, I don't know why he thought I would, but uh, Gary and I have been friends for a long time. He was my boss. Um, we did Bible studies together for about six years, uh, promise keepers, and became very, very good friends. And uh, he kind of, he pretty much had to twist my arm and beg me to take the position. Um, and it, it's not that I didn't want it. I was just comfortable doing what I was doing, and change is kind of scary to some folks. And uh, so he convinced me to do it, and uh it's probably the biggest blessing I've had in mm. a long, long time. I'm glad he convinced me to do it. Um, but PACT was uh, brought about because our recidivism rate is very its sky high. And, uh, you know, quite bluntly, the state has run out of money, and we can't, uh, you know, the bricks and mortar has run out, and we have to think of our t- alternative ways to deal with uh, our parolees in the community. And community-based corrections is... Uh, is the word. And uh, so um, we, we went about to find people who would, uh, you know, our partners in the community. Uh, ABC was one of the first uh, agencies, obviously, mm-hmm. um, to help us out. And we went out and sought help from other agencies, and they were on board. Um, it wasn't a tough sell. I thought it would be initially because people want something. You know, how much do we get paid? Uh, but we found volunteers throughout the community, and it's been it's been a wonderful ride so far. Now let's talk about the nature of, uh, and I want to in just a few moments, Gary, I want to talk to you about what you saw in Wayne that uh, said, "Man, this is the guy. This is the guy for the job." Uh, but let's talk a little bit about the dynamics of the PAC meeting and the purpose and and, and the benefit to the guys and gals coming out of prison. Okay, PACT it serves as a one stop shopping center, and. Uh, our parolees are afflicted with numerous problems, and the old adage, it's going to take a village, you know. Uh, so some of the problems that they suffer from, we have agencies to deal with them, such as ABC, uh, offering all kinds of services, furniture. You know, homelessness is a big thing. Uh, not having anything is a big thing to these guys. And we have Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, we have uh, New Hope Recovery, uh, Solidarity uh, Recovery. Um, we have a high... Um, incidents of, of drug use and homelessness right, and right. just everything that they're afflicted with, um, we have an answer for in our volunteers at the PAC meetings. So these guys and gals come out and, and they, and this is a, is this a mandatory meeting, right? It, it's yeah. mandated for every newly released parolee to attend. 
and uh, we just you know we just give them some love whatever they need if it's prayer if it's if it's a couch if it's uh again if it's drug or alcohol treatment um a lot of times if it's just a relationship the guys just need relationships or a sounding board Absolutely, um, yes. and that's been pretty helpful well it's scary coming out you know because you're coming out of a culture that you're used to you talked about comfort level a couple of minutes ago you go back into society and a culture that you're really not equipped to to deal with. Probably a benefit to have people in the room who are saying, "Hey, we want to help you succeed," you know, and uh, and to have them take advantage. I mean, Elaine, you you have many guys come up to you as, and, and Elaine is our main point person at at the pack meetings. A lot of guys are just looking for some clothing or maybe a bicycle so right. they can show up for a job interview, right? Yes, yes, they do. And, 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 and Wayne hit it. It's, it's relationships, Mike, and you and I know that from uh, much of our work here. But Wayne relates to these people, and so does Gary, in such a beautiful way. And when he talks to these people, a lot of times he will, um, he will describe how they come into prison for the first time particularly mm. uh, very they try to put on this tough guy image in the beginning but really they're very afraid on the inside absolutely yeah and and uh, and and I think you know and, and they sit through uh, everybody's um, little um, spiel if you will because many of the people who share around the tables and some of the people who speak to them in the presentations uh, have been where they are um, it, they will spiel off their you know, you know their number uh, they've been there some served two times three times and so forth but they can relate you know been there done that we, mm-hmm. we know that and so but coming out of the the system they've gotten their lives together and they're now productive members of society and they're on the other side of the table giving back you know if i can do this you can do this and so it gives them hope and that's what we want to do we want to connect with them and let them know you know i came through this you can make different choices. And so they do that. So everybody has something to offer them. We are there for them. We care for them. And if they can just get a slice of that, and if they can, you know, just step forward and say, hey, I need this. We're there to sign your book. You're, you, you know, you need three signatures today or whatever it is that they need. But we're there for you also to offer you something. Just extend your hand and say, I need, and let's go from there. Gary, as you were looking at this, you probably just can't plop anyone into this position, right, to to run this program. What were you specifically looking for, and and what drew you to uh, our friend Wayne here? Well, the worst thing that can happen is that a person's talents are are wasted, and you can get into a routine uh, and something that's comfortable, and I think Wayne and I both found out that when God makes you feel uncomfortable, that's probably the place you need to be. And so um, when I first came to Modesto, he and another agent were working a classification of parolees that I felt were not really pushing them and uh, and serving uh, the purpose of what parole is about. And actually, I changed caseloads and gave them a more generalized caseload with tougher cases. And then when the PAC thing came up, uh, Wayne and I are a lot alike in terms of, um, hey, when we need to send people back to prison, we need to handcuff them. They're out of control, especially with violence and things like that, especially with family, domestic problems. Um, 
we can act, but also we also know that as a parole agent, really our position is defined in more than just law enforcement. Uh, there's social service you're wearing. One day you're a taxi cab driver. You're looking for a place for them to live. Uh, another day you're going to um, – uh, it could be – uh, showing them how to fill out an application. Yes. But now we have friends outside. Mm-hmm. We have um, Alliance Network. We have all these agencies that do that work for us. All we have to do is push them in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And when Wayne says relationships, that's all it is is saying, you know what, I've got time to talk to you. Let's sit down. I might be able to push you in the right direction. The reason why Wayne was given the PAC position was because he thinks that way. Uh, a minute you might spend with a parolee when you've got a hundred of them on your caseload and you've got them lined up out in the lobby and you say, you know what, let's just fill out this paperwork and I'll refer you. That's what Wayne can do. Other people are thinking about how can I get through this day? Mm. We're thinking about how can I help this person? So that was a lot to do with why I assigned her that position. You know, when uh, Wayne speaks or John speaks, they sit through these Sometimes it's depending on how many people are sitting in the room, uh, the stories, and they'll hear the story from John's perspective, which is, you know, he's been there, I don't know, (laughs) since he was, he started crimes when he was four and five years old. And that's just an incredible, incredible story. And then he stopped when he was, what, 44, 45, I don't know, 50 years old. And they can relate to that. And then they hear Wayne's story from the family's point of view you know, what they put their families through. And so by the time they've listened to all of these, you know, stories that just tug their heartstrings and they they tug ours too, and I can hear them over and over again for how many years we've been involved with this, but, you know, it just encourages and really uh, inspires all of us each and every time we come. And I truly mean that when I say that. I'm I'm encouraged each and every time we come to the packed meetings. Hopefully they get something out of this. And, they, you know, even if one person succeeds, it's worth it, isn't it? What, what have you seen over the years? Uh, I mean, pre, pre-packed in our area and, and then as, as PACT has been up and running a couple of years, what, what are some of the effects that you've seen? Well, as parole agents, uh, we've always had uh, agencies available to us, but to have them in a, such close proximity to one another, mm. I, I've seen relationships built between the agencies, and we're a lot, we've been a lot more effective in getting these guys help. Um, I've had lots of success stories. I've gotten uh, numerous phone calls. Um, people have uh, started businesses. We had one gentleman I remember in particular. Uh, he was administratively placed here from Sacramento, and he had nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came to a packed meeting. In fact, he was high. He admitted to me later. And uh, he came to this meeting uh, because he had to. It's mandatory. Uh, I have to be there or I'll go to jail. So. He uh, was a naysayer. His body language was bad throughout the meeting. He goes up to John Long after the meeting and says, you know, what can you give me? Uh, John uh, said, I'll take you home. And the guy looked at him like he was kind of weird. And he actually did go home with him. John placed him in a home. He had a job a week later. Uh, He's now teaching uh, guitar lessons. I saw him on YouTube, and he is unbelievable as a guitar player. Um, so he has, I mean, he's been clean and sober for 
six, seven years now. That so. is awesome. I love those kind of stories. I've got a story I want to share afterwards, too. But just for you guys, we kind of dug uh, into the archives this week um, for this um, song from Sanctus Real. And um, it's called Lay Down My Guns. And we'll be back right after this for more on Lighthouse Life. Well, I just need a place to lay my chain that hangs around my neck These guns are not as heavy as the hearts they defend I can't wait to get back home where I can find some rest when I lay down my guns and lift my hands So
lay them down, lay down my guns, Sanctus Real on Lighthouse Live. And so they got to do, right? Wayne Davison and, and Gary Bird, appreciate you being with us tonight. And again, uh, uh, I think um, one of the, and I, you know, I worked for government for, you know, at least half my life. And, and, you know, government has its pluses and its minuses like any other thing. And it does some things well and, and other things it doesn't do as well. But one of the great things that state government done, has done is, is, uh, is, is the pact, uh, meeting and, and the concept and, and obviously putting two men in connection with it here in Stanislaus County, uh, was, uh, I think a, a divine thing as well. Uh, God can work through government, you know, in a powerful way. Uh, Wayne, what, what do you see? What, what is it that makes this gathering work? What is it in the room that, that makes it happen, that makes the guys and gals that show up go, oh, you know, this, they, maybe I really am cared for, and maybe there really is some hope here. Well, I think uh, the compassion is very genuine, mm-hmm. and they can feel that. As Elaine alluded to earlier, we get something out of it every single meeting that we go to. It, it's it's so spirit-filled that mm-hmm. we just feel better leaving than when we came. Mm-hmm. Um, it is infectious, the, the compassion that each and every agency has. Um, I think we have... Uh, the same goal. We just we just want uh, our community to be safer by making these people better people if we can, if we can lend a hand in it. Mm-hmm. Um, we genuinely want them to do well. I don't like to see people fail, and I think I can speak for Gary as well. You know, I, you were mentioning a couple of minutes ago something, Lane, that I, that I think is fairly significant. Not only is there great benefit to the, the, the folks coming out of, of prison, but there's great benefit to the people, the service providers, because sometimes we haven't met each other. You know, we got introduced to some folks. I think Gardal, we, oh, we got yes, introduced yes. to for the very first oh, time. And yes. man, he's, uh, we've worked with Gardal now for, I mean, it seems like we've known him for years, for years and years and years. And I uh, think of Wena, yes. you know, and, and friends outside. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, of different so many. agencies. Salvation Army Salvation does a Army. wonderful, wonderful work. You know, and, and so I think not only the benefit to the client, so to speak, coming out of, of prison, but there's also the benefit to the community and getting to know each other and participating in something where we're all moving in the same direction and we're going to have some uh, some action here to, to make things better. Gary, from your uh, from your point of view, what what has been one of the keys or two keys to the success of this PACT concept? Well, I th- just two things come to mind is that um, especially early in my career, expectations were low. I mean, you, you mm-hmm. see so much, uh, so many people returned and uh, so much failure, and sometimes with the same people over and over again. I, I wish the only formula I know is Jesus. I mean, mm-hmm. I've taken people to classes when I worked in San Francisco and Redwood City and Visalia and West Covina. Every one of them, I've taken people to um, uh, either junior colleges or high schools. And almost every case where they've recovered and given up the drugs, they've given up that culture, they no longer define themselves the way they were in prison. In other words, when they step out of that prison, they're not still inside like so many of our population mm-hmm. is. Their mind is still inside that prison. They still define themselves as that culture, the criminal subculture. And so in the PAC meetings, there's probably one-third of those people that go there that don't want to change. 
They do not want what we have to give them. And, and we know that. That doesn't mean we stop trying, but it doesn't mean that we become jaded to the point where we just throw them on the trash pile and say, you're not worth anything mm-hmm. because God doesn't define people by their appearance or their performance. Right. And if they did, then where would the disabled be and everybody else? So, so we know we're dealing with a population that gets pretty secure in their prison pop, in their prison thinking. Secure because it's easy to go back to prison. You don't have to work. You don't have to do your clothes. You don't have to do your food or whatever. So we have to change that thinking. And, and my approach is always, we, I don't define you as a convict. I don't define you as a parolee. And don't insult me by defining me as a parole agent. Mm. You know, mm. I'm a child of God. I see you as valuable person. Mm. And, and that's the talk sometimes I give at the pack meeting. And basically, I'm not afraid to bring up God there. Plus, it's the gospel mission anyway, right? So, uh, <laughs> and, and there is a, there is a, a, a strange thing that a lot of our parolees, um, they know God. They have been saved, but they're just lost. Yeah. They just don't know which direction to go, and they take the easy way out. And um, so I don't try to separate what's real and what isn't because I don't know. I can't judge the book by the cover sometimes, and I don't know which direction they're going. But if we give up on them, we'll never know if they can change. Mm-hmm. And it might be 48 years old or 44 like John Long changed. It, it, I don't know when that happens. God knows the plan. I sure don't. So m- my take is um, you just keep plugging away. Um, you do not make excuses for them or allow them to make excuses for themselves because that's a, that's a trap. And and being a Christian and, and sometimes they say, oh, man, I you're a parole agent, but I heard you're a Christian. Sometimes they'll say that. And I said, well, don't mistake that for weakness. Mm-hmm. Don't mistake it for weakness. But know that. If you show me you want something, you want to change, we'll be there for you. And the PAC meeting provides that for people. They they say, okay, I know where you've been. Wayne has them raise their hand how many terms they've done in prison. And they get up to fifth and sixth terms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we're thinking, aren't you tired yet? Well, I, I don't know when they're tired. I don't know when the maturation point is. And I did it for 36 years. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, I cannot – I can't predict when that maturation point is when they're going to change but this time coming back to work i came back as a retired person hadn't carried a caseload in since 1986 wow is that right and i thought i don't want to do the supervisor administrator stuff just give me a caseload i had the most fun i had in 36 years it was the most fun because i got to know a lot of people in the community a little bit better instead of just knowing the law enforcement executive people and and um administrators and stuff you get to know the people that do the work mm. because really uh as administrator i'm not the one that does the work uh, the the people on the streets that are going around knocking on doors and and making sure we're safe and stuff do the work so um the pack meeting i think the the main ingredient is um you keep plugging away um and um sometimes it's with hard love i, I have a difficult time understanding why someone does not take um, advantage of friends outside mm. or EDD. They're right there. They're giving you something for nothing. You don't have to pay a thing. And we have people on the streets that have worked for 30 years that are out of work, and they've never been in trouble. And here you've been in trouble, and here, and that's you got to talk that way to them. Some, they're giving you something that 
people have never been in your position, never been in trouble, have always done the right thing, and they can't get what you're getting. And why wouldn't you go to that table and ask that person for a pamphlet, a phone number, or a cell phone number, their name, and help? One thing convicts don't do well is ask questions because anonymity is very important in prison. So when they come out, they need to ask questions. They need to put themselves out there. And that's where I get into don't define yourself as a criminal. You have the rights everybody else does. Ask questions, find out information, and then follow through on it because eight to five is not their they don't have a 24-hour clock right. like you and I when to get up 6 o'clock in the morning, get to work by 8. Mm-mm. So a lot of things, it's like teaching a kindergartner. And the PAC meeting is one way to start. Yes, yes. You were uh, talking about expectations a couple of minutes ago, and I, I would imagine that uh, for a guy coming out, he can sense it. You know, if, if we're in front of him and, and our inside expectation is, man, you're a loser and that's who you are, you're branded, and we're just here going through the motions, you can feel that. Mm-hmm. You can Certainly. feel that, can't you? Certainly. Mm-hmm. Another way we think alike is uh, no matter how many times somebody's been back to prison, it's and I tell them from the onset, it's a clean slate. Mm-hmm. All the stuff that happened in the past doesn't matter. It's the here and now. And if they falter again, we can start over again and again as many times as it takes. Um, and I think one of the most important uh, processes we do is our initial interview when you first meet a person. Um, there are different styles of parole agents. And I, you, you'll never hear Gary and I take the negative style. Mm-hmm. It, it's when you do well. You know, um, I always tell them, uh, you're going to make this as easy or as difficult it, it's incumbent upon you. You're going to dictate that. If you, if you want it the easy way, if you want to put forth the effort, I'll do anything for you to make it happen. But if you don't put forth any effort, why should I? You know, and even still, I'll try, even if they don't want it, and make them prove to me that they don't want to be out here and, and be productive. That is, is so the- grace-filled. I just, just – did you not get that? That was just – Is that – an anomaly in your profession, <laughs> or and, and you don't have to answer that if you don't want to. But it, I mean, I met Gary. Okay, know. yeah. Um, it, it, it well, probably a mixed bag. You right? know, yeah. you know, I as a unit supervisor, and you're you're supposed to train people. And I would always, and I think we had some pretty good units with people that had the right. And and some people, um, you can train them all you want, but it's they don't have that innate ability to um to um what what I want to say well relate with people they mm-hmm. just don't have it mm-hmm. they got the job but they don't have it and to me as a parole agent they already know the shoulds and should nots when they do the initial interview they know what their conditions of parole are they've signed them already mm-hmm. you go over them with them but you don't need to emphasize them they already know what they can't do they might have 50 conditions of parole they might have eight it doesn't matter when you go over them they know i think if nothing else, you give them a piece of paper with that you get from the PAC meeting. Um, they're going to go to the PAC meeting and get that anyway, but sometimes there's a two-week period so be- before they go. So if that's nothing else. But, you know, I think a soft tone, soft approach, because that you can't do this and you can't do that, and you start pointing at them, um, what it is is it's giving them another excuse not uh, to, it's given an excuse to fail, and the excuse is I got a crappy parole agent, so I'm not going to do parole. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. I don't want to be one of the people that gives them those excuses. So, 
you're and you're handling them and giving them some dignity in the process. Sure. Right. Where tell, they don't get that from a lot of right, places. Right. If you tell somebody numerous times you're going to fail, why should I even try? You know, they take that attitude. Well, your tone sometimes, if you're going to be inhumane to them and take their dignity away, just your tone alone, not even your words, can do it. Mm-hmm. And why would you want to dehumanize somebody? Why would you? They all they already have a bad uh, self image. And self-esteem, anyway. I mean, they've already let their families down. They, they've, you know, have not stepped up to the plate. So they already know they failed. So why do you need to keep telling them that? Yeah. Don't you love what the writer of Hebrews tells us uh, in chapter thirteen to remember the prisoners, as though you were in prison with them. Absolutely. And we were. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. But it is, t- I mean, it is tough. If if you don't watch it, if if you take your eye off what's important, you can get hardened mm-hmm. uh, by this profession. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always thought, I always told myself, you need to go to work for UPS if you if this isn't for you or somewhere else. Right. Because it is very, it's a very, very tough profession. Takes a special person. Gary, which brings to mind, you came out of retirement. Why? Well, uh, it was about two and a half years after I retired, and I got a call from an administrator. He was down in Visalia, and he said there was a supervisor opening in Modesto, and they couldn't fill it and wanted to know if I could come back to work as a retired annuitant. And I never even visualized ever coming back to work, and and actually uh, I said, well, (laughs) is there – I don't want to be responsible for personnel on a short-term basis because you can't set up parameters and and really have a style if you only go back to work six or seven months or whatever because you have so many hours you can work. So I I said I'd, I'd like to do something a little bit different. So they actually gave me an acting unit supervisor job where you carry a caseload, but you also supervise. So you're doing uh, both. And and um, the caseload is somewhat abbreviated because you're doing supervisory stuff. So that's – I came back, and, of course, now they had computers. When I, <laughs> when I was a case-carrying agent in, in the Bay Area and down south, there we didn't have computers. I mean, I, I don't even remember when we started having uh, – um, I can't even think of the name of it now. The, another mechanism to word communicate. Word processors. No, no, no. Word no. processors. Right. Well, we have, that was a new thing. He's a Mac man. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I go back to when we have to erase the Rolodex and put a new date yeah. on there. And oh, so, yeah. so it was, it was beautiful. I could sit at my desk and the information you could get off the computers and I didn't have to call people. I could go on there and get information. It was just, so I thought, well, this is easier. Now there's a lot more regulations mm-hmm. than there were back then, mm. um, which is kind of sad in a way because we're more concerned with litigation than we are taking care of people, mm. and that's what happens. Uh, we've just become a litigious uh, uh, you know, kind of society and an entitlement society. It used yes. to be people had to work to get to a certain place, so certain things had changed a lot, and I know I'm going to sound like an old man when I start bringing up stuff like that because they say you start talking about the way it used to be was better, but uh, I did like it when it was more informal and you didn't have to fill out 15 or 20 pieces of paper to justify what you're doing and stuff. So, yeah, but it's all about kind of watching your back because you have, like, the Garrido case and other cases where um, 
people either weren't doing their job or not documenting what they were doing or whatever the case may be, whoever. We're in a blame society, so you always have to watch yourself. I always liked it on a personal basis where in the old days you gave a handshake and that meant your word was good, and and nowadays it doesn't exist. So, Well, the, the face of law enforcement has changed, and, and I think especially over the past 20 years, you know, I mean, I... There were no MDTs, you know, back then. Uh, right. No, no computers in the in the cars. Of course, mm-hmm. today, oftentimes there are no computers in the cars, given the technical problems. Sometimes, but you know, uh, it it used to seem simpler anyway. And uh, I, I think one of one of the things we have to deal with is is you know, at one time we enforced the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. But now, Gary, and your, your point being there with such a litigious society, you've you got to pay extreme attention to the letter of the law now, don't you? Yes, you absolutely. Do. Go ahead. One of the sayings that I got from Gary, and I stole it from you, I use it. <laughs> we don't manage by, meaning Gary and I, by fear. Yeah. We don't manage people. We manage by what we think is right, what yeah. we really believe in. And it hasn't gotten us in trouble yet. Right? Well, I, I got yelled at a few times as administrator because someone did say, my boss did say, well, you you seem to, um, for um, expediency's sake, you, t- you tend to bend the rules once in a while. And that's probably true. Sometimes you can get things done because the bureaucratic red tape is going to take a year where you could probably do it in two days. So mm. I did do that once in a while. But if you're always looking over your shoulder waiting for someone to catch up on you, it renders you useless because then you're afraid to make a decision. Right. So then you don't make a decision, and the people that need an answer don't get one until you get permission from someone else that's not in the same location, doesn't know the geographics or demographics or where you work. So you have to be careful. It's no different than dealing with parolees. If you deal with everyone the same way, it's not fair. You know, everyone has a different personality, a different dysfunctional dynamic in their background that you need to deal with. And if you're dealing with a psychotic or a sociopath or something like that Mm -hmm. and you don't act appropriately, you're going to get someone hurt. Mm -hmm. So you have to be conscious of those things. Wayne, uh, this Broadcast goes all over, you know, the world. We're looking at mm-hmm. principles here to to give people. And I would imagine there's folks out there who have family members that are incarcerated and and maybe coming out soon. Let's talk uh, maybe a, a little message to them about what can the family do in preparation for their relative, whatever relationship that might be. What can they do to prepare adequately for that person coming out? I think one of the biggest things, and I stole this from Wayna is uh, they can ask questions mm-hmm. of their loved one who's incarcerated. Mm. You know, how was it? What did you have to go through? Uh, what are some of the things we can do to help you? I think that would be very helpful because they're real reluctant to open up, um, but a lot of families won't ask the questions, as Wayne states, because of the fear of an argument uh, beginning. But you can't be afraid to ask the tough questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably the biggest thing. Um, another thing is, would be get to know your parole agent, okay, your son or daughter's parole agent um, on a personal level. Develop a relationship with them. Uh, I know as parents we tend to uh, protect our children even when they're wrong sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, develop a relationship um, with the agent so you, know, so you can talk about things and, and try to correct or rectify 
the situation. Yeah, as a parole agent, how important is the family to you as a mechanism of, of success for, for your parolee? Oh, it could, having a good relationship with a family could be a matter of life and death. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes parents would rather have their child uh, or loved one uh, in a program or even incarcerated uh, than be dangerous to themselves or the community. Um, if you develop a nice rapport with them, they know that it's you, you don't have anything against the child and they firmly believe that you have their best, best interest at heart. Mm. Uh, it can make your job a lot safer. Um, by developing that relationship. Gary, for those in the marketplace, what would you say to them who are looking at people coming out of the system and back into society? What would you have them focus on? Well, the general population has a view, because most people are not in tune with people in prison. They may not know anybody that's been to prison, but you know what's a strange thing is that um, I have family and friends that have had people who have gotten in trouble that you wouldn't expect um, and uh, come from very functional families and somehow have gotten in trouble that um, to, to not uh, – because what happens with the public is you, you can't avoid racism in our mm. society. You, you know, it's so prevalent. You can't, there's certain things that go on and dynamics that go on with people that they don't see the person. They only see, um, you know, the baggage they've carried from their childhood or whatever. And I, you know, what I would say is, um, come to a PAC meeting. Hey, come to a PAC meeting and see what it's all about. See that these are actually people, you know, um, and that, uh, they have value and, uh, I, I, if you give them an opportunity, there's a lot of employers. That, it's unbelievable how many of our parolees have skills, much more skills than I have, and they're very talented, very skilled. And um, the thing that always gets in the way of them being able to use their skill is drugs. And if they can avoid the addiction, they can they can keep steady employment because they might still work for that employer for two or three years, do real well, and then they'll relapse, and they'll lose that job because of the drugs. It's a sad thing to see, and um, relapse is inevitable in some cases. It just happens. It's it's a it's a disease. It's it's something that there's biological reasons for it, emotional reasons for it, brain chemistry reasons for it. There's tons of reasons for it, but. Um, I, I just hope that people, when they look um, at some of our folks that come out of prison, um, that they they see them in a different light. It's hard not to when you see all the tattoos and, and the gang symbols and all that kind of stuff. I'm not really talking about that. I'm talking about probably two-thirds of our population that come out that really want to stay out but don't know the formula. We've got to look beyond that. Gary Bird, Wayne Davison, thank you guys so much. God bless you and the work you're doing. We just love you. And dear friends, wherever you happen to be listening, we love you too. Join us again next time here on Lighthouse Live.